Efficiency Services Group partners with publicly owned electric utilities to deliver energy efficiency programs and services. ESG serves as an extension of energy services staff, bringing a wealth of skills and experience to provide direct install programs, customer care kits, field auditing and inspections, utility staff training, and reporting for Bonneville Power Administration customers and California utilities. Learn more about how ESG can benefit your energy efficiency organization at EfficiencyServicesGroup.com. That's EfficiencyServicesGroup.com. Welcome to News Data's Energy West, a podcast about the energy industry today and where it's going tomorrow. Hello, I'm Dan Catchpole, reporter with News Data's Clearing Up. With me is my co-host and editor of News Data's California Energy Markets, Jason Fordney. We're here with some of the top stories we've been reporting on. But first, Jason, uh, how are you? How was your weekend? Did you have a good Easter? Oh, thanks. Yeah, I had a real quiet Easter. Um, we've, yeah, I spent the weekend trying to fix our solar system. Um, had some a lot of learning experience with that. We have an off-grid system, as I think you might know, and. Uh, it's hard to find people to work on these off-grid systems, but yeah, we, uh, some rats or mice, we, we have a, like a little separate battery house where the batteries and the propane generators and all the inverters, well, the rats got in the inverters and made nests and messed it all up. So yeah, struggling with that. Didn't have power for certain times this weekend, but we'll get it fixed. Always an adventure with off-grid. Wow. Didn't have power. Yeah, we had to shut it off now and then. We're running t- strictly on propane right now, which is super expensive. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, one thing people oh. don't realize about off-grid systems and solar and batteries is they're very expensive. They take good amount of maintenance, and off-grid systems are tend to be kind of Frankenstein together, like ours is. <laughs> so, yeah. Other than that, it was pretty good. How was your weekend? Uh, it was great. Yeah. Uh, Easter weekends, you know, mm-hmm. did the whole like, it's a good Friday and Easter vigil services, uh, had some family over after Easter service. It was a very busy, but uh, busy weekend, but well worth it. Yeah. Well, awesome. And got out into the yard to do some yard work too, which was nice. We're cleaning off from the winter. And we, we are surrounded. We're in Seattle, but we have like 10 fir trees on our property and it's not a i mean it's got a decent sized lot for a city but it's not like a big lot but yet we've got I think, 10 douglas firs and a couple pine trees on our on our uh on our uh yard and yeah this time of year we just have to have to dig out like a foot of pine needles along the edges and everywhere where there's just the floor or uh forest litter basically it's a constant fight but yeah, yeah definitely worth it definitely worth it so yeah, you get to a certain age you start enjoying yard work i don't know about you but i find it relaxing when i can do it yeah indeed. hated it when i was a kid <laughs> indeed yeah i don't know if it's just it's like lowering expectations as you get older it's like you know. <laughs> right, let's look at it as like coming to appreciate the the simpler pleasures in life there we go there we go that sounds more hopeful than I'm just beaten down. And so I'm going to lower my expectations. 
<laughs> well, you know, uh, one thing listeners can expect this week from us is uh, it's it was a really newsy week last night or last night last week, um, at least up in the northwest. But it looks like you guys had a lot of stuff going on down in California. So we got a lot to get to today. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got a story. I'm going to uh, give listeners a little bit of a snapshot of three really important uh, resource plans that were filed by uh, three of the really big investor-owned utilities in the Northwest, and then also update folks on applications for fed mon- federal funding for uh, developing hydrogen, clean hydrogen, renewable hydrogen uh, production hubs, and then last, a, a proposal for a transmission line under the Columbia River. What do you have for us nice. this week? Well, uh, we have our lead story was all about curtailments, particularly of solar. Had a good story from Linda Daly Paulson digging into that. It's a big topic right now, the record curtailments, some pretty astounding numbers in the past few weeks. Then uh, I wrote up the new Lawrence Berkeley National Laboratory study on interconnection queues with some interesting factoids about California. And then finally, some reliability officials discussing the U.S. grid, some very interesting comments from North American Electric Reliability Corporation CEO, if that's a proper title, uh, Jim Robb, um, calling for congressional action on the grid. So I'll get into that a little bit. Yeah, that curtailment story, um, yeah, like you said, some pretty uh, surprising numbers here, like setting records left and right. Or, at, yeah, I mean, you guys have set had four new high water record marks for uh, curtailment in since late yeah. March. So what is going on? Well, you know, curtailments are a more complicated issue than you would think. But yeah, the we, we have a table here from Brian Theaker. The top, seven of the top 10 record curtailment days were between March 24th and April 4th of this year, about 11 day period. So seven Seven of the top 10 days were in that 11-day period. Um, there's various reasons. You know, we we talked to Kaiso um, about it. She said, uh, Vonette, Vonette Fontaine over there said, there's a range of different variables that affect curtailments, including system and local constraints, hydro conditions, temperatures, wind, cloud cover, energy efficiency, consumer behavior. All these factors are changing almost every minute. So it's difficult to compare. Um, but then we have Randy Hardy, who's a former BPA administrator and a, now a consultant. He said it's a simpler than that. In the spring, March, April, and May, temperatures are moderate. There's more solar than load, so you have to curtail. As more solar is added, more gets curtailed. We talked to Jeff Richter over at Energy GPS. Says that although solar generation is robust, solar is, quote, not the driving force in aggregate as the year-on-year delta continues to increase, but the battery technology, in essence, has netted the delta to a lower number than 2022. So something else is going on, which complaint points to either supply components or transmission constraints. And, of course, we've seen a huge amount of uh, battery storage coming onto the KISO grid, but not helping with the curtailment situations. And one thing to explain here, people might not be aware, these are mostly economic curtailments. So it's it's not like they're curtailing the, the output. What they're doing is not bidding into the day ahead market. 
most of these curtailments mm-hmm. are economic, uh, not reliability based. The way Gary Ackerman explained it from uh, formerly a Western power trading forum, Kaiso scheduling coordinator, coordinator puts a price curve in for each hour of the day. If the price bid into the market by the producer drops below it, that resource is curtailed. Gary said, quote, what they're saying is, here's my tolerance for how much I'm willing to pay to generate. In other words, producer decides how much risk they are willing to accept. If the price is too low, they're not willing to sell at that price in the day head market. They aren't forced to participate. So Ackerman called it supply and demand 101. There's more solar production than demand in California production, not only from utility, but also the result of up to 10 gigawatts of rooftop solar which feeds into Kaiso. Rooftop solar shows up as demand reductions in Kaiso. So it's it's another kind of dynamic. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. And we um, well, and here as you have that uh Thieker saying at the end of it, there's only going to be more solar coming online. So yeah. This is going to continue. It will. And I was just looking at the Kaiso numbers that just dropped for March and it appears I put it on the all the setting where you can see the all time and it looked like March was another record month for curtailments. So somewhat more of a complicated issue than most people might think, but there's no doubt if you look at the Kaiser website, they're just, I mean, going up and up and up. In 2019 in March, we were at 122 122,000 megawatt hours. This March, we were at 606,000 megawatt hours. So somewhat of a complicated Mm -hmm. issue, but becoming more of a general interest topic and something that we will continue to keep an eye on. Well, I know in the, in the Northwest, uh, there's three utilities and well, there's many utilities, but three utilities that just issued resource plans um, that are definitely going to want some solar. So don't get rid of it. Okay. Uh, so Pacific Core, Portland General Electric and Puget Sound Energy recently issued uh, integrated resource plans. And they're, they all exemplify how much the outlook, the future of the industry has changed for utilities. These look very different from resource plans created even just five years ago, really. These utilities have all, you know, they've to varying degrees been on the edge of or kind of forward looking, but they've all, you know, they've all got plenty of coal, plenty of natural gas in their uh, resource stacks. So, They've been having to navigate this transition and they all operate in states with decarbonization mandates. So they are, you know, under, uh, have a statutory obligation here to get off coal and reduce natural gas. So Pacific Core in theirs, they are looking at, uh, I mean, they need to add, let's see, it's about 30, or I'm sorry, like 24,000, give or take a few megawatts. Uh, and the among that that they want to add is 1500 megawatts of nuclear fired power uh, generation along with uh, 7400 megawatts of battery storage and 15,000 megawatts of solar and wind but the fact that they included nuclear in their preferred portfolio um, you know it, they 
really caught caught our eye. Greg, my colleague Greg Mason reported this out. Uh, so I mean that really Pacific Core is a firm believer in nuclear. They're working on it out in uh, Wyoming with yeah. TerraPower, their natrium reactors. Uh, exploring that, and they're aiming to have 1,500 megawatts of advanced nuclear energy uh, from three of TerraPower's natrium reactors online uh, in 2030. Nice. So, uh, or 2030-32, so that early of next decade. And at the same time, yeah. they are taking, you know, they've got several thousand of megawatts of uh coal and natural gas uh, generation that they're trying to either you know retire or well looking to retire eventually but the coal um yeah and they've got several plants that are you know in coal strip they've got jim the jim bridger uh Naughton, and yeah several they've got a they cover six states so they've got a lot of thermal fired energy yeah. Uh, and then, so at the same time, so public, uh, Puget Sound Energy, they looked at nuclear. They said it still doesn't pencil out economically, but their resource plan does include huge amounts of solar and wind. They're really looking to wind to be their kind of like go to resource in the future, but buttressed with a very deep stack of storage. And what they call CETA qualifying peaking capacity. CETA is uh, an acronym for Washington's Clean Energy Transformation Act, the law that has the decarbonization mandate in it. So essentially, this is um, what they're talking about is biodiesel or eventually they hope uh, renewable hydrogen fire generation here that they can, you know, uh, firm capacity resources here that they can count on when the wind isn't blowing or they just need to cover that gap during the peak hours and because yeah. of um, decarbonization mandates electrification trends and also increasing concerns about uh, resource adequacy in the west their projected deficit during peak hours uh yeah the like seasonal peak hours uh more than doubled uh, their forecast from the last resource plan they filed in 2021 that now they're projecting a uh, deficit of more than about or about 2700 megawatts uh, by the end of the decade wow yeah and then uh you know just to round it out here we've got portland general electric their resource plan is really focused on aggressively cutting back their greenhouse gas emissions and hitting their 2030 target to comply with state laws there. And they're following you know, a pretty similar path of wind and solar with some storage and some other resources, um, but no nuclear. And uh, I, I will say, you know, they also include some transmission upgrades. Pacific Core also said, you know, we need, uh, was the number, I think like 2,500 or something. Uh, no, sorry, 2,500 miles of new transmission lines to make uh, way for the increased renewables load to carry approximately 20,000 megawatts of wind and solar energy across the company's uh, six-state service territory uh, system in 20 by 2032. Uh, Puget Sound Energy did not have any transmission, uh, specific transmission 
development plans in their resource plan. They did acknowledge, though, that the West needs a lot more transmission. And they had some kind of just rough numbers about that, uh, you know, needing to add uh, about 4,000 megawatts of new transmission capacity to bring renewables from east of the Cascade Mountains to the load centers uh, in western Washington, which that applies for Oregon too. The main loads are in the you know, west of the Cascades towards the coast in Oregon and um, Washington. Wind, solar, a lot of that's coming from east of the Cascades. So, yeah. Uh, so yeah, three resource plans that really give a, it, it, they're all point to just how dramatically things are changing, how the, you know, the huge numbers of resources that need to be acquired and just uh, companies that have been fairly traditional are starting to really put money into, or at least get planning to put money into, uh, you know, resources that were kind of just on the drawing board just a few years ago. Yeah. And like you said, the state mandates driving a lot of that, you know, these, these are big number, big numbers for procurement. When you're, when you look at what's coming out of California and the CPUC, and I think our comments from Jim Robb might touch on this in a few minutes, you know, there's, there's, this stuff doesn't just happen automatically. There's supply chain, there's <laughs> no. the transmission lines, like we wrote about Senzia, which they're trying to move ahead with. Mm. It's been in, in the works for 16 years. So yeah, Jim Robb will talk about the, or we'll describe his comments in a minute on sort of the, the 10,000 foot level of, is this all going to work? Yeah. The West we build uh, solar panels that fast. Yeah. Not to mention all the other stuff. Yep. But, um, you know, well, I, and, and then the other thing is you've got to get all these resources connected to the power grid. Yep. Only yeah. there was a story about that. Oh, gosh. If only somebody but, was writing about interconnection cues. Oh, wait, <laughs> I did. That's a good segue into our next story, which I covered the latest LBNL report on interconnection cues. Um, time in cues is increasing. And solar and storage make up 80% of new capacity entering queues in 2022. This is their new report. It's called Queued Up Characteristics of Power Plants Seeking Transmission Interconnection, um, especially in California, where in Kaiso and the West, they have the highest amount of energy storage in queues, but more starting to come online in other regions. Almost all the solar proposed solar in California, 97% is hybrid with other resources such as storage. And California also leads the way in percentage of wind proposed to be hybrid at 45%. I don't think we're going to see much more storage development. I mean, solar development without storage in California, which has about 14% of proposed energy storage across the U.S. And 13% of proposed solar storage and gas is in Texas. Um, yeah, so we discussed a little bit how interconnection queues work. You know, project developers put in an interconnection request, which triggers a series of studies. Uh, it's also taking longer to develop projects. The timeline for from interconnection request to proposed online date has been increasing since 2010. Solar projects increased from about 28 months in the 2010-2015 period to 38 months. Various reasons for that. 
And nationally, solar accounted for more than 70% of new capacity in queues, 300 gigawatts of onshore wind, 82 gigawatts of gas, and 113 gigawatts of offshore wind. Uh, wow, that's a lot. So yeah, the queue process getting more discussion. They didn't really talk about reforms in this study very much, but uh, I think that's the general idea and recognition is we need to get these processes happening more quickly in order to get the resources that yeah. we need here in the West. Yep. Yeah, I mean, that really is streamlining the development and uh, development process is going to be so crucial if this industry is going to deliver on these huge numbers that it is projected to need. Yep. And there's there's discussion about it. I I can't help but, you know, it's one of these things I've covered plenty of issues where people are saying we need to streamline something uh, you know, as as uh, during my career as a reporter. Can't help but be a little cynical about it. <laughs> you know, it's usually never something that they're like, oh, yeah, let's do that. And let's sit down and hammer those out those details uh there it's very complicated very tricky lots of different uh interests uh, and that mm -hmm. is especially true when you're talking about uh, uh you know not, not least of all permitting and siting projects across the west um and then yeah a lot of moving parts and kaiso has the longest time projects spend in interconnection queues but also where we're trying to build the most resources. Yeah, it does not surprise me that California has the longest queue. <laughs> that yep. seems par for my par for my expectations of California. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, all that solar storage. I know Kaiso has been working on shifting around the study processes and working on transmission queue reforms. So hopefully that will help. Yeah. So what do you have for us on hydrogen hubs? Yeah, well, so two projects up here in the Northwest filed applications. Uh, they're among the couple dozen or so groups that filed final applications on April 7th. Uh, they're all competing for a slice of federal funding to start up uh, renewable hydrogen hubs. Actually, I should say, I think the federal government, the Department of Energy is referring to them as clean hydrogen so they can there can you can have some carbon emissions but it has to be less than emissions coming out of traditional hydrogen which has a lot of emissions uh are created in producing it now the two applications coming from the northwest one a, a group led by the state of washington the other one led by uh, a company developer called obsidian renewable energy both of these are relying on renewable hydrogen created using uh, non-emitting energy sources for the electrolysis to split water into hydrogen and oxygen. So they, uh, they yeah, so they sent in their final uh, applications. There's the competing for a share of between seven and eight billion dollars that, uh, that the Department of Energy has for these grants to start up hydrogen hubs around the country. Federal government is really looking to help hydrogen move along to the next stage uh, in terms of it being a commercially widespread 
fuel source in the uh, energy or the power grid of the future. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, now it's just uh, wait and see. Yeah, it's yeah. a somewhat controversial topic. A lot of environmental groups don't like hydrogen. They think it's kind of greenwashing and um, keeping, you know, certain resources online. Mm. But Biden administration is definitely embracing it. Well, I mean, it depends on how it's used. Uh, yeah. I, I, know, I don't think either of these is using it to, well, I'd have to go double check. But as I recall, last time I wrote about these, I didn't cover the story. Steve Ernst picked it up for me. I was uh, busy with other stuff. I wrote about it in the fall. And as I recall, neither of these involved you know, um, using hydrogen to mix with natural gas. But I could be wrong about that. Uh, as a way yeah. to you know, using it to cut natural gas to reduce emissions. Uh, I believe these were all you know, zero emission uses. Uh, but like I said, mm -hmm. I'd have to go double check that to be absolutely sure. So yeah, uh, okay. Department of Energy plans to, to pick six to 10 hydrogen hubs to receive between 400 million and one and a quarter billion dollars. Uh, they are hoping to issue those awards in the fall of this year. Yeah, we've been following that process, but yeah, 1.25 billion, not a not chump change for sure. No. Well, Good so stuff. you've got a story on NERC and reliability. What's going on with them? Yep. Uh, two NERC executives held a media webinar August, I'm sorry, April 5th, covered by Rory Sweeney. Our lead to this was, according to national reliability officials, it's up to Congress now. So some warnings here from NERC President and CEO Jim Robb saying there's external threats via cyber attacks and internal stress caused by the grid's transition towards zero emissions electricity. This has been a constant refrain from NERC over the past three or four years about the transition and the need for natural gas. Here's a quote from Mr. Rob. Gas is a fuel that keeps the lights on. And until we're at the end of this transition, we're going to need gas, particularly as we're bringing all this wind and solar on the grid. He said, there's a very clear call to rethink the way the gas and electric industries are governed and overseen in a more holistic way. He thinks that's going to take action from Congress. Um, ask what NERC is doing Going to address the problem, Red, or Rob said his staff uses its, quote, bully pulpit to highlight the issues, but the solution will require structural changes to markets, infrastructure, and companies that are beyond the jurisdiction of any one regulatory entity. One example is natural gas production and pipeline delivery system has been extremely successful in providing predictable flows, but was not designed to serve highly variable demands. Um that you know this the new uh, more intermittent resources are bringing he says the incentives don't align um so yeah kind of interesting um talking about congress having to step in and doing major restructuring of markets i don't know exactly what he has in mind more questioning of the rto iso model even as the west moves towards that but uh yeah these guys you know I personally listen to NERC pretty closely. They're a very sophisticated organization. And 
when they raise the alarm, I think it's worth it to listen. So we'll, we'll see what happens to that. Just more reflection of the massive changes happening on the Western grid. And he's talking about the U.S. as a whole, but I think the West in particular is facing a lot of this. Yes. And I always do appreciate how I, how good a job you do of keeping an eye on what NERC is doing. It definitely thanks. is a um, something I appreciate as your colleague. Oh, thanks. Well, so this story was actually by Rory Sweeney, but uh, yeah, I do cover it. Okay. Well, I take time. it back. <laughs> but no, I, you guys, you California energy markets in general, but um, I know you've got a good, really good understanding of NERC and I, I always appreciate that. Uh, I think it really uh, adds to our, yeah. ra- helps round us out in terms of our coverage. But uh, up here in the Northwest, uh, we've got a company proposing to build what they're calling the Cascade Renewable Transmission Project. It would be a high voltage DC system running from the Dalles, Oregon to Portland. And uh, at least a hundred miles of it would be along the Columbia River and at least some of that would be actually in a trench underneath the Columbia River. There'd be a 320 kilovolt line uh, with a capacity for about 1100 or for 1100 megawatts. They're hoping to develop this uh, using a hydrojet trenching mechanism called a jet plow to bore into the earth, un, into the riverbed uh, underneath or the Columbia's riverbed. Oh, I haven't heard of that. Yeah. Like a water. You got to get up on your, it's your earth moving. Uh, I don't know what, actually, I don't know what you would have to get up on, uh, get up to date on. (laughs) Earth moving technology. Yeah. There you go. Earth moving technology. Yeah. So yeah, sounds like a water cannon. Is there a cost on this thing? How many gazillion dollars? Uh, good question. Uh, I don't believe there was a cost in the story. I'm just double checking it because I didn't write one down and I don't think it was for lack of missing it. Yeah, I didn't see a price tag in here. Um, but they looked at some other projects. Uh, So my colleague Greg Mason wrote this story, referenced a couple other projects they've done. Uh, $650 million Neptune undersea transmission cables and $850 million Hudson transmission cable beneath the Hudson River connecting New York and New Jersey. So, you know, not cheap, but uh, yeah, not the, not the biggest number I've seen. Nope. <laughs> or a project. So, well, certainly, you know, again, this goes to uh, that transmission capacity, especially bringing in energy from east of the Cascades to the west. Absolutely. General recognition, we need this transmission. So good to see that. That is with uh, the Oregon Energy Facility Siting Council. We'll be keeping an eye on the outcome of that decision and how that project moves ahead. So stay tuned. Sounds good. Well, in the meantime, that's all from me, Dan Catchpole. Thank you for listening and please rate and review this podcast on whatever platform you listen. Energy West is edited and produced by our colleagues at Pioneer Utility Resources and Lucky Sound Studio. Uh, you can find me. I'm on Twitter. I'm at DCatchPoll. And Clearing Up is on Twitter at CU News Data. That's the letters C and U for Clearing Up at CU News Data. 
California Energy Markets is also on Twitter, which apparently Elon Musk renamed over the weekend. I'll leave it to you to check that out. What? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the guy, man, he's a trip. That's all I'd say. Um, Yeah, check out his Twitter feed. Um, All right. California Energy Markets is also on Twitter at CEM News Data. I'm on there too, entertaining and amazing at Fordney Energy. I'm just kidding. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We'll see you back here next week.